Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The easiest way to relieve your conscience is to console yourself that you are on the right side of history, the right side of the law, the right side of justice, and the right side of the moral argument. Then all you need do is condemn people on the wrong side. Rare is the teacher who accepts the judgment on his head through his teaching. Unique is scripture in its systematic and ruthless condemnation of everything and everyone, beginning with the writers themselves. We are accountable for our own sins. In Matthew's Gospel, we cannot afford not to be merciful. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 65 to 67. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 406 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. Publicly, the high priest is saying, See? I don't have to feel guilty that we're about to condemn an innocent teacher, an innocent man. You all heard him say it. I don't have to question whether there's any nuance here. I don't have to go back and examine whether or not he's teaching scripture or what he said when he was teaching in the temple was valid. I don't have to look and see all the good this man has done in the community. I have just enough off of his Twitter account. I have just enough from what he said online or what we just heard him say in a soundbite that I can expiate my shame and feel at ease in my ideological purity that he's not a good Judean. He committed blasphemy. We have enough. Case closed. I'm a pure high priest. We're all good Jews. We're all good Romans. Throw the guy out. And we can get on with our day and go back to updating our Facebook profile with the latest self-righteous I care about this issue badge. That's the game they're playing. And I want our listeners to understand that when you post about an issue on Facebook, you're full of it. It's completely imaginary. Do not post about issues. It's a waste of breath. You're insulting Abel when you post about issues. 
his vanishing breath will be avenged by God. Yours won't, because it's not scriptural. It has no substance. You look at the move that the high priest did, and you see exactly what you're saying, Father, that they are expiating their own sin. Look at what he says. What further need do we have of witnesses? Well, don't forget, the witnesses, so-called, that they had before, were false witnesses that they went out and looked for. Can we get two liars to agree on the same lying point about Jesus so we can convict him? Oh, we got Jesus to say something that would convict him on his own merits? Wonderful. Now, let's just take that uncomfortable moment of how we went to find lying witnesses in this court so that we could make our own point. Let's just put that to the side right now and just talk about what Jesus said. Let's just put to the side our own inconvenient history, our own cruelty, our own lack of morals. Let's just put that to the side. That's That's not the matter. That's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about what Jesus said. And Jesus said, what do you need witnesses for? Everybody was a witness. Everybody heard what I was saying. Why are you having a, tr- why are you having a tough time finding two people who can agree on the same thing? I can find you a hundred. They were all there on the same day. And now you're having trouble? Well, I'm just going to continue to teach. And as Jesus continued to teach, this was the point that the high priest was looking for. Why before it wasn't enough? I don't know what it was, but the high priest here had to find this. Isn't it funny that the high priest couldn't have found something among truthful witnesses or taken Jesus in the middle of teaching as opposed to the middle of the night? Oh, by the way, we're just going to put that past too, that we like grabbed him in the middle of the night when he was praying, as opposed to when he was teaching openly in the synagogue and in the temple, which was actually the crime that we're accusing him of, of teaching this in the temple. I mean, how crazy is this? Jesus is teaching this in the temple openly. They want to destroy him because of what he taught openly. They capture him in the middle of the night when he's praying by himself while his disciples are asleep. And then they have to find liars who will come up with something that he actually didn't say. And this is how they're going to go about convicting him? I mean, it's keystone coppery. And then when Jesus actually teaches something, just like he was teaching in the temple, they say, aha! What aha? Jesus just told you, he's saying the same thing he's always been saying. And when he says this, the Son of Man is sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. He just sounds like he's talking about Daniel and Ezekiel. So, this is the expiation of the low-down business of the high priest trying to bring down Jesus and whatever challenge to the high priest's throne that Jesus might pose. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. If you are familiar with scripture, the first thing you hear when they cry out for death is their proclamation of their own judgment. It's a classic pattern in scripture. 
The judgment you pronounce against the other is the judgment you're pronouncing against yourself. It's the judgment you deserve. That's why you see it against the other. They are expiating their shame on the back of the weaker brother, and they are exacting the punishment on Jesus that is owed to them. And it is important that we hear it. You murdered six million Jews. You make the Palestinians pay for it, and then you spend the next century accusing them of being murderers. That's the system. That is human psychology. You blame the victim. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. The feminists have been saying that for years. A woman is raped, and the first thing people ask is, what was she wearing? It's high time we hold people accountable for their behaviors. That's the teaching of the crucifixion. The buck stops with Jesus Christ. Remember last week. Jesus Christ is your last chance. Maybe when the landowner sends his son, they will listen to his son. But after that, there are no more chances. You have one chance with Jesus. After that, it's the coming judgment. And if you execute Jesus and send him back in a body bag to God the Father, you will not see him again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Lord of hosts the King of Kings. We just heard him say that. That's why you're threatening to kill him. So we know how this ends for you. And you're pronouncing death for Jesus Christ? And the high priest who's supposed to listen to God the Father is asking what they think? It's a big joke. And we have to explain it this way so you understand the depth of the scandal. And how serious and how broken and how evil the Twitter mob mentality is. It's the amplification of the crucifixion mentality. And if you don't think that it can translate to the street, you're naive. It's already started to translate to the street. We saw it happen here in Minnesota just two summers ago with all of the racial violence surrounding the murder of George Floyd and everything that happened after that horrible crime was committed and the way in which people tried to usurp that crime to advance their own ideological agenda against the community. So friends, we have to hear the Gospel of Matthew and get off our ideological high horse and stop looking for who to blame or accuse and start realizing that we are accountable for our own sins and we have no one to blame. We have only to do what is asked of us by God the Father through Jesus Christ 
by the hand of the Apostle Matthew in this case. If only our ideology was the Gospel of Matthew, because they are putting to death the one who said, God will have mercy on you and will forgive you insofar as you have mercy on and forgive others. Immediately, when they find one statement that they were fishing for, they want to account him guilty of death. The one who said, God will have mercy insofar as you have mercy. You have to put him to death. How can you judge anyone who makes that statement? Let alone, how can you be a follower of that person who makes that statement? It's not possible. It's not possible. Recently, I was talking with Bible study about how the Sermon on the Mount puts you in a position of complete dependence on God's mercy. You can no longer afford not to be merciful because no one can live up to the teaching that's in Matthew. No one can live up to the teaching that's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you can't live up to the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, by what right are you casting out someone for ideological impurity? You, O listener, are the ideological impurity. Then they spat on his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one that hit you? This is where it goes. It turns to violence. It turns to cruelty. They show their face. This is what they're interested in. Amusement and entertainment. And it's interesting, from my perspective, Richard, that Matthew is linking violence with the desire to see the miracle and the prophecy. The Lord is coming. And this is why Scripture keeps praying that he comes quickly, because when he comes, things will be set correct. The thing that I found really striking here, Father, as they're taking these cheap shots, it's not enough for them to send him to death. They have to, as you say, humiliate and shame him beforehand. But strangely, again, they go back to this, O Christ. The last time we heard this was when the high priest asked Jesus if he was the Christ, and Jesus didn't answer. He said, you said so. And here not only is the chief priest saying it, but all the council and the elders and the high priests, all of them, are calling him, O Christ. They're mocking him as if he were the king, if he were the anointed one, and they're slapping him. But once they start doing this and they start calling him the Christ, I mean, are they not uncomfortable with how close they sound to Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant and the way that the suffering servant is treated? The ideological purity that they're trying to cast out, is it not matched by their ideological impurity, by the verdict of execution, and then lumping on and piling on with humiliation, mocking him for supposedly being the Christ which he himself never claimed, which they accused him of. All he claimed is that he would be at the right hand of power as the Son of Man. They asked him if he was the Son of God. 
he answered and said he was the son of man. So when they look at the ideological impurity, as we all have to in whatever controversy, it's a safe place to start asking ourselves if we are, if I am the ideological impurity. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.